So I'm so, so, so excited to introduce our next guest. He's literally the funny Indian guys, okay? Like, I, I, I'm just so excited. He's a very famous and very handsome Raju Satyal. He's open for the Prime Minister of India, okay? Seriously, the Prime Minister of India in front of 17,000 people in San Jose, guys, okay? Eva Longoria said he was hilarious. Um, he's interviewed Deepak Chopra, Kevin Nealon, Russell Peters on his podcast, The Tangent Show, which is way better than this show. You guys should totally look at that one. Uh, and I'm reading off his Wikipedia page, okay? Like the fact that he has a Wikipedia page is freaking amazing, okay? He's a trained engineer. Uh, he worked in marketing at Procter & Gable. He interned on Capitol Hill, okay? How, how more successful can you get? And now he's a full-time stand-up comedian in LA. He's amazing. Please welcome Rajiv. How are you doing? Wow, what an intro. I should have you bring me to the stage every time I perform. It is really great to connect with you. Is that a promise? <laughs> maybe, maybe. You know, now you have it documented, you know. <laughs> this is the cringe show. This is a cringe show. Just, I'm like basically a Zach Galifianakis in an Asian female form, uh, much shorter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there were people to be. He's hilarious. Yeah. So um, how can I tell if you're really Indian? Hmm, how could you tell that I'm really Indian? I guess you could go to 23andMe and look it up that way. The other way that you might be able to do it, which might not be so <laughs> intrusive, is to understand that both my parents were born and brought up in India. They came here and had me. So since both my parents are Indian, I don't think they really had another choice on the menu. And the third way is probably because, you know, my act you know, if I do an hour on stage, I always say that my ethnicity will inform part of it, not all of it. You won't hear Indian jokes for 60 minutes, but you'll probably hear them for 10 to 12 minutes. So I assume that if they are resonating with Indian people, that they are probably Indian and that I'm probably Indian. I have a good friend who's Chinese and he his his cheat always is when he goes to a Chinese restaurant, he wants to make sure that he sees other Chinese people there. He's like, <laughs> if I only see white people there, it's not going to be good food. Yeah, I need uh, other uh, Chinese people there. <laughs> I was like, that's a good way of putting it. That's amazing. Um, I'm I'm like 60% convinced, uh, but uh, we'll see. So um, did your parents think you were insane when you started stand-up comedy? Like, what was their reaction? Were they like, or were they like, oh, of course, he's the funniest child that we have. What was their reaction? You know, I come from a funny family, but at the same time being Asian slash Indian, especially in America, you're going to get that pressure to become a doctor. And the way that I see the world, even to this day, is that there are doctors and then there are failures. Like everybody else who didn't <laughs> become a doctor, we're just walking around failing all the time. It just We lost. And so an engineer is like you kind of got sort of maybe you it was a draw, but everybody else is losing. And so, you know, I think they were really worried in the very beginning, at least day one. They were just going, I can't believe you're going to go do this. But day two, my dad was like, all right, go get on the Tonight Show. Like we're behind you. and I tell that to people, they go, well, they came along pretty, pretty soon then. They came around pretty soon yeah. then. And yeah, they did. I have to say they were pretty supportive. Because you were so successful already. Like, I, I mean, you studied engineering. You did, uh, for lack of a better, because I've had Indian clients and Indian friends. And it's like, it's, you basically did everything right. Um, so do you feel like that helped them see that, oh, because he's so successful as an engineer, you did marketing and you have all these contacts and then they were less worried or like just, um, do you think the background helped? Because I feel like there's other 
uh, comedians who are Asian and Indian, and I feel like a lot of them do come from, like, you know, some of them are surgeons, some of them, like, work in corporate. Mm. Like, what would you say to them who have, like, regular jobs, who might not have as supportive of a family? What would you advise them? Yeah, you know, I will say that if my wife and I ever have kids, they're going to be doctors. You know, it is definitely one of those things where you have to. Uh, <laughs> what if they become comics? To... What would you guys think? <laughs> I know. I'd be like, man, you, th their dad will be uh, a doctor and their mom will be or, or a comedian, I should say. And then they'll be uh, they'll be doctors. You know, I, I think at, at the end of the day, it's um, you you want to try to support your kids as much as you can. But it's you know, I think your observation is actually really good and original, which is that, yeah, a lot of the. Asian, and I say Asian for South Asian people like me and then East Asian people like you, you know, Asian people in America probably do do come into it from like a, um, a professional background, right? A lot of the other folks came in more hourly or waiters or copy repairmen or whatever they are. And that's not good or bad. It's just a different world. So, but I think your point about, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Oh, well, no, I was just going to say that I think, you know, since I was successful with other things, you know, that's a, I wish I would have said that at the time. I wish I would have had you there to not only open for me on stage, but on stage advocate for my parents, because that's not really the way I, they saw it. They saw it as, gosh, every two years you're doing something different and just make up your mind already. <laughs> that's awesome. Because the reason why I bring this up is because I dated the one who got away. He was a surgeon and he told me he did stand up comedy on the side. And uh, he told me this amazing joke. I was like, oh my God. I can totally meet other people like him. And uh, he didn't right. call me back, but uh, it, it kind of made me think, because when I meet <laughs> Indians at improv as well, it's like they have a corporate job, you know? And it's interesting to see them balance like the two worlds. They don't come as often as like some of like the struggling artists, I would say, but it's interesting how they right. uh, are very creative. They're hilarious at improv. They kill it at standup, but they still have that like day job. And uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's very interesting to see them like have a professional success and do it on the side. And then you fully do it on the side. Um, I mean, you fully, you know, this is your career. So that's awesome. Um, so do you remember what your first open mic was like? Yeah, I entered a contest. I entered the funniest person in Cincinnati contest in my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio. And I made the semifinals the next year I won it. My first time on stage I invited everybody I know to watch me do something I had never done before, which is a very Rajiv thing to do. Like Amazing. most people would go do it in the corner in a small place, you know, where they know nobody. And I sort of rise to the occasion. I need people to watch me. I'm an exhibitionist. I need people to like, what, like karaoke. I'm, I can't <laughs> sing, but I can suddenly carry a tune when I'm in front of people a little wow. bit. I'm not great, but That's I love doing that. That's yeah. impressive. Wow. So do you remember? I don't know if it's good or bad, but it just is, you know. I think that's perfect for what you do. Obviously, it's like. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So do you remember what you discussed the first time you were open micing? <clears throat> yeah. You know, the funny thing is I didn't do any Indian jokes. I didn't do any ethnic <laughs> jokes the very first time. Actually, for the first couple of years, I didn't do any. Oh, wow. And, you know, uh, people were just like, yeah, we want to hear a little bit more about that because you do jokes that, I mean, you know, they're, they're original. I didn't take them from anyone, but they're like, look, this perspective we can kind of get from anyone. Like, we're interested in hearing a little bit more about what that was like growing up Indian in, in Ohio. And that mm -hmm. seems like the logical place to start. And so right. I think, yeah, since my act has become very autobiographical, I do start with that because mm -hmm. I think it is what people expect. And it sort of is a nice, easy entry into it. And then you can talk about other things as well. But 
it's hard to get to that later because it seems like it would be a more organic place for you to just start with that. So that's what I do now. That's great. Cause when I did my first open mic, I, <laughs> I opened up with, I'm a Trump supporter because I'm not a loser. And I think that colored my entire set. Like, Hilarious. I was, <laughs> and it was like, it was, I don't know. I'm still working on trying to develop rapport. Cause like my more seasoned comedian friends are saying like, you need to like bring the room to your side. And like, I just don't, I try, I try my best. I'm still trying to go and open mic later today. Um, but it's, it's harder for me. So the fact that you like pick something that resonated with them in Ohio, um, that's just natural genius. I mean, I, I can't even attribute it to anything else. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, seriously, I think I, you're such a G you guys go to his website. Uh, he's freaking an amazing marketer, amazing comedian. You guys should check out his video. Okay. Um, uh, but anyways, uh, so what do you think makes, like maybe not Indian humor, but like maybe what you see on Indian TV and like media and movies different from American style of humor. Hmm. I would say the big difference is that Indian humor generally is not self-deprecating. Self-deprecation oh, is very much a Western thing, a British thing, an American thing. Oh, wow. Huh. I feel like Indians are kind of like the Japanese in a way in that saving face is a big deal and honor and you don't really put down yourself or your family and you can bring right. disgrace oh, yeah. upon your community. And yeah, I can yeah, really like, yeah. Does that make sense? Chinese too, yeah. So I, I feel like hmm. I'm trying to think, how would I even explain Chinese humor? I guess sometimes it's like over the topness, like doing something to an hmm. extreme that's funny or like just extreme humiliation. Like it's not like talking bad about your family, but just like doing something like horrible on a game show or like, or like, you know, making fun of your friend for not like who he is, but his uh, behaviors and habits. Mm. And like he, mm -hmm. It's hard to, because oh, I feel like if you really understand humor, then you actually get the culture. And I've been removed from Chinese society a little bit. So I feel like my humor is more American now. But from what I remember, just from media, I feel like it's more like, uh, uh, like over the top doing things, like extreme things, or just being really stupid that's kind of like Chinese humor, but yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I no, totally. I think the, that's totally right. And I don't want to say not to interrupt because people will say not to interrupt. I'm like, you already interrupted. Just interrupt. so just yeah, just interrupt. I love it because yeah. this is to your, totally interrupt you. Yeah. Yeah. Jewish people love that too. Cause it means like you're paying attention. Um, but yeah, yeah it does. It, it's hundred percent. At least we're right there in there. So no, but I think that's true. I think a lot of the mimicry and voices and stuff that you saw in traditional Indian humor in India, yeah, is very over the top. And so that's the point about, you know, making it more outward and not so inward. And I think that's, uh, that's the thing that Americans are very, very confessional, very, very open. And some of the things that we talk about on stage it does clash sometimes. We've had to condition Asian audiences to be like, oh my gosh, is he really going to talk about he didn't get his first kiss till he was this old or he failed at this or he failed out of that class or he failed out of that college. Like that stuff's funny. Like success isn't yes. funny. Failure is hilarious. Like yeah, success exactly. isn't really that interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great for motivation, but it's not funny. Like what's really funny is to talk about how you failed. That's, exactly. that's hilarious. 
Exactly. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think my open mic is going to be better because I'm going to steal your uh, advice. So, um, okay, this is, this is the real stuff. Okay, this is why I invited you on the podcast. Okay, uh, can you give me advice on how to marry a wealthy Indian man? Oh, wow. Good question. I always tell people to go to the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, especially if you're a single woman looking for a man. It's such a heavily male place. And yes, yes there are a lot of gays. My brother's gay. That's where he found his husband and he moved back to New York. But, dude, I'm telling you, like, I don't understand why more women, if they have the ability or the opportunity to move, don't just move to the Bay because there are so many wealthy Asian people there, especially Indian people there, too. And I just think that seems like a target rich environment. Just pick up and move. That's awesome because I was in Berkeley for five years and like I did date uh i guess a handful of indians um should i ask this should i not okay what the hell let's just ask this um Uh. do you like do you feel like when a man really likes you he would be willing to spend on you or do you feel like that's a maybe um like just how he is how can i ask this without being well this is a weird podcast anyways you know what I mean? Like, do you feel like if a guy really loves a woman, he would spend no matter what his philosophy on money is? Does that make any sense? Oh, that he would spend money on her if he likes her and if he doesn't, he won't? Is that the question? Yeah. Is, does that make any sense? I'm trying to make this as understandable. Yeah, I think <laughs> anything in which you're interested or anything or anyone in, in which or in whom you're interested, you're going to spend resources, right? Whether that's money or time or energy. And, you know, you're not going to call a person back or stay on the phone a long time or spend money or whatever it is. I think unless you are interested, right? I mean, that, that would be true even if it were a friend, right? I mean, I, I remember a friend of mine, my best friend, he he was in Los Angeles. He was visiting from Seattle and way before Ubers and uh, taxis were very expensive. And I was just starting out in comedy and he was down here for his corporate job. He was downtown LA and I was out in uh, on the West side. And I said, Hey man, John, I'd really love to come see you, but honestly, dude, it's going to be $40 one way to come see you for basically an hour and then $40 back. It's like 80 bucks for an hour. An and then he just You're goes worth way it, more than that. He goes, somebody decided to put a price on friendship. And I was just, it was one of these hilarious moments between him, him and me. But, of course, he understood. He's like, dude, I get it. You're a broke comic. Like, there's no way I could justify asking you to drive all the way out here just to do that. Not drive, but take a ride all the way out there. So it was one of those things where, you know, if you're good friends, you could have that conversation and no harm done. True. But I think if it were someone in whom you're interested, she'd probably be like, uh, yeah, no. Okay, thank you. <laughs> The reason why I asked this was because when I was in Berkeley, I was quite socially awkward and I, who you are attracts other people, right? So I was trying mm-hmm. to think, was mm-hmm. it me or was it him? Was it the culture? Was it my culture? But thank you for clearing that up because I do, I don't know why like Indians are attracted to me because like we're, we all have like a market value, right? And it's like we can't, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. right? So, okay. Good to know. Um, keep that in mind. So um, what is your advice on like working with Indians? Because I feel like a lot of people listen to this podcast, like not to like become the funniest like person ever, but to just build better rapport you know, across culture, across industry. So like for somebody who's never had any contact with Indians, who's um, not able to get in touch with them, maybe have they have a client coming up or like working with a boss who's going to be Indian. What advice would you have for like working with Indian people in general? 
Wow. I guess that is sort of an open-ended question. Do you yes, mean Indians in America or like, Indians okay, in India? Okay, maybe Indians, Indians in America because we are in America and I think Indians are just everywhere. So we can, yeah. Okay, let's just do, yeah, Indians in America. You're right. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Russell Peters did such a great bit on how Chinese people and Indian people could not do business together. Yep. And it was just one of those hilarious, hilarious bits in, in comedy history. So I do think that Indians do look for a deal or a bargain, but I would say that we generally – I'm trying to think on what we over under-index. It's really hard to generalize about an entire population like maybe, that. Okay, but, maybe maybe uh, let's, let me say this, like, okay. Um, okay. As a Chinese person, I feel like just some, of course it's, everyone is different. Right. But I feel like compared to, okay, maybe compared to Americans. Cause I feel like the reason why I say this is because when I started off teaching ESL, I worked with a lot of different students and I had a Persian student literally tell me like he was fired because he gave a bottle of perfume to his uh, female boss because he thought that would win her over. And then he got fired. Right. So I feel like those are kind of like cultural things that are kind of unfortunate that i mean it's just bad luck right but it's just like oh you know over there in in iran people just like to smell good and it's not a big deal but here it's like oh my god that's a gift if you give to your lover right so i feel yeah, like there are some right. things that maybe that kind of like triggered me a little bit because i was just like huh um there are some things i guess for chinese people like they do like to save face like even if you hate this person like on the surface you're just kind of like supposed to make them look good right and it's like in private mm -hmm. you can talk to them or whatever and like you're never supposed to oppose your boss in america it's like your boss wants you to talk about your input and and it's kind of changing a little bit i think everyone's kind of americanizing just because of like how business is, but it's like generally you would never oppose your boss in public and even in private. Like even if you right. think wrong, you're supposed to do it. It's a very Chinese thing. In America, it's like, oh, if you don't speak up at meetings, it's like, are you even, do you care about the company? Right. Like, even here. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's like right. maybe along those lines, not like a general philosophy, right? But just maybe some actions that people could stop doing so that they don't get uh, fired. I don't know. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, culturally, Culturally, I think it also depends if it's coming from white folks versus people of color. And I really hate to break it down like that. But I think if you're a white person anymore and you're talking to someone Asian or Indian or black or, or Latino, really any person of color, and you're asking about that person's food or clothes or whatever, I think it's just fraught with problems these days, in which case I don't necessarily think that it should be. But if a white person says to an Indian person, hey, I'd really like to go to an Indian restaurant, what would you recommend? I mm -hmm. feel like that in this day and age, that falls on different ears from how if a, a fellow Asian said it, right, or whatever else. Like if someone mm -hmm. black said that to me or someone Asian said that to me, to me, I don't care. It's very hard to offend comedians. But I'd feel like, oh, I'm just not entirely sure if we are – okay with having this conversation with people who are not of color so i think if you're a person yeah. color, i think that yeah. being open about that sort of stuff is totally okay to be like hey what you know i'd like to i love indian food can you recommend a restaurant or you know something like Some that i think indians generally yeah. love our food yeah. so yeah. we're open about being evangelists about yeah. it yeah awesome mm -hmm. so um you run an amazing podcast um how can i make your my podcast half as awesome as yours and do you have any tips and tricks i feel like you're really good at networking like you have, you know, performed at all these places and, um, and obviously you got to, oh, 
let's talk about how is it like working with the prime minister of India? Oh my gosh. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, well, to answer the first part of it, how do you make it exactly half as awesome? I don't know about exactly half as awesome, but I'd say some tips yeah. are, 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 are <laughs> to find a thing, right? The things that yeah. you really like to talk about. Yeah. That's what's really going to come across to people is like if you if you get bored with asking the same questions or if you are you want to do a podcast about music. But after all, you're like, oh, I'm kind of tired of talking about it. Like you got to pick something that you really are never going to get tired of talking about. Something right. you talk about with your friends anyway, things that people go, oh, yeah, every single time she's here, we end up talking about this. That's great. Like you, that means you have a thing. And so. I think that helps. I think putting it out consistently helps. I mean, I did a podcast for a long time. I discontinued it, which is probably my biggest professional mistake, but I'm reviving it. It's going to come back in 2020. So I'm excited to bring it back. So yes, that's, that's really cool. So I appreciate the kind words. As far as opening for Prime Minister of India and Narendra Modi, it was quite an experience. I mean, politics aside, just the idea of standing in front of 17,000 people at yeah. a stadium in San Jose <laughs> was mind-blowing. I mean, it was just crazy. I had performed in front of 11,000 before outdoors, but not 17,000 inside. And they're not all there to see me. But at the same time, if you win no, them over, which I did, then it's pretty great. That's amazing. Did you get yeah. to talk to him afterwards? Very briefly, I got to exchange like a namaste with him on stage and got the picture with him very, very, very briefly. But that was definitely pretty cool to be able to do. That's like the that's like more than becoming a doctor. I that's the ultimate in being an Indian son. Seriously, that's like what's. It's funny that you say that because my parents flew out for it and they wanted me to work in the Silicon Valley as an engineer, if not a doctor, of course. And they were like, "Wow, finally our son worked one day in the Silicon Valley." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Your parents are so. They're pretty funny. funny. Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> so, what advice would Very you give funny. making like? comedians yeah it's in your genes and it's not even fair like just have a funny gene that's great so uh and both sides too so yeah what advice would you give for beginning comedians yeah i would say that i'll repeat something somebody said to me which is it takes five years to figure out what you want to talk about 10 years to find your voice 15 years to be good and 20 years to be great and when you hear that timeline, you go, oh, my gosh. I'm going to be long, dead long by the time timeline. I'm good. <laughs> I know. You think, whoa, that is a long time. But most of the comedians you see on TV have been doing it a long time. I mean, people think, oh, there, there's that idea of overnight sensation or, or uh, overnight sensation after 30 years, right? Like they've been trying and trying and trying, and then finally they break through. So, I mean, some people break through uh, like year nine, year 10. Uh, but a lot of times they don't have the staying power. They're kind of a flash in the pan because – they don't really know how to handle a lot of the success. So I've been doing it 13 years full time. So you got to oh, figure wow. probably wow. still have some time before you're really, really going to pop. It's incredible. Yeah. Russell Peters popped at 14 years in. He started in 89. He got big in 03, 04. So what is that, 11, 14 years? It takes wow. a while. That's amazing. Have you met him? Oh, yeah. He performed at our wedding and I've been to his house and oh I've opened for him like 30 times. How is yeah, he? I know him really oh, well. my God. Okay. How I saw him uh, basically roast a couple like in the first row. They were like, oh, what are you guys doing? And then they're like, oh, we're going to get married tomorrow. And he's basically like, don't do it. So he actually did the reverse with you. Oh, my God. How was he at your wedding? I have to know. He was awesome. I mean, he came. He did, people are like, oh, you hired him. I'm like, no, I didn't hire him. He's a friend of mine. He came to our wedding as a guest. 
<laughs> but he performed and he was awesome. He of course ripped on me, ripped on everybody. He he was awesome. And then I finally I followed him, so I finally could say that he opened for me. <laughs> so like, what was he? What is he like in person? Like, is it pretty much the same as like how he's on stage, a little bit more subdued, or or what? I would say he's very much similar to how he is on stage. I would say he's not subdued. I'd say he's a very good host. He's great at including people in the conversation if there's 20 people in the room, but it seems like one person's kind of like not involved or no one's talking to that person. He'll go over and bring that person in. Oh, like wow. he's very inclusive. Oh, and wow. yeah, I'd say he's got a really good sense of a room, no matter whether he's on stage or off stage. And that's really cool to see. That's awesome. Wow. This is great. Wow. Like you are actually friends with him. That's amazing. So, um, what do you think is like the difference like doing corporate comedy because you do um i do see like you do have like a lot of corporate comedy uh what is it like versus like open mics <laughs> yeah it's very very different because you know <laughs> we were doing a tour some of us were doing a tour in india and this guy asked during one of our we did these comedy workshops and people were asking us these questions and this guy asked this indian guy of course we're in india and this indian guy goes he asked such an insightful question. I had never heard anybody ask this before. None of us had even thought of it before. But he goes, what is it like performing in a comedy club where nobody knows anybody versus a corporate gig where everybody knows everybody? Wow. And we thought, wow, that is really huge. I said, you, the answer is in your question. You just, you pointed out something insightful that we had never thought about. You're totally right. That's exactly why it's so much harder because they all have appearances keep up and if the boss isn't laughing can they really laugh and it, it's you obviously have to work clean and family friendly you pretty much can't do religion and politics if you do you have to do it very lightly it's yeah. it's really different it, it's it's almost like a completely different job i would say do you feel like it's possible to brand yourself to corporate uh how do i say this because you have a corporate background so i feel like you kind of have a advantage in, in that sense so i guess would you advise certain comics to go into corporate or do you feel like some of them should perform maybe at like nonprofits or like what would you advise comedians who want to make money on how to find the organization that's a right fit for their personality it's a great question i mean you know, doing corporate gigs and private gigs and charity stuff and birthday things and a lot of things that I do that are my livelihood are great, but they really feed the fuel for me to do my solo shows and my tours and the truly, truly creative stuff that I can do that's not necessarily for an audience that wants things that are on the straight and narrow. And so I think it's important to know why you're doing something. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned, people who do stand up or improv and they still work full time, that's not necessarily a bad idea because it allows you to yeah, be completely yeah. creative in what you're doing. And you don't have to worry about trying to pay the bills because right, right. I had a friend at Procter & Gamble, yeah, who left took a start her own catering business and she wow. loved cooking. And after a couple of years, she's like, I hate cooking now because I have to do it for work. Like <laughs> I, this is a job uh, and it took her years to find, get her, you know, tell her to give her, get her groove back. Like it took a while before she was like, Oh, I like to cook again. She just, she hated it for a number of years and she finally found the love again. But mm -hmm. you know, every, a lot of people ask like, how do I, how do I do this full time? And mm -hmm. that's not necessarily the answer. I mean, you might be able to, especially if you live in a mid, Size town and, and comedians come perform there, 
you might get to the point where you can open for comedians, get to know them when they come to town, and do have them on your podcast, and never really have to leave Cincinnati or never really have to leave Chicago. I, I don't necessarily think that you have to leave your job to go do this full time to enjoy it. That's great. So um, this is great answers. Thank you so much. This is so insightful. Oh, well, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, so uh, my next question is like maybe more of like a book and philosophical questions because um, a lot of people listening, okay, Indians, you guys are like the highest earning minority, I think. Yeah, actually, yeah. Mm -hmm. so said, like, you guys are the high. So probably uh, if you want to be a funny millionaire, probably going to have to uh, work with Indians. So like, what do you feel like are the books or like maybe uh, the spirit of uh, like, how can I really understand like India and Indians? Like, should I read the Bhagavad Gita? Like, should I like, what can I do to truly understand the country aside from going there? Does that make any sense? Yeah, to understand India, you mean, or understand Indians? Is maybe, that the question? Maybe that's a lot. Okay, maybe I'll, I'll give an example. I feel like Chinese people, if you really understand them, like, you could, like, look at the Cultural Revolution and then, like, look at, like, Buddhism and Confucianism. A lot of things mm. that don't make sense will make sense. And I feel, I, I started reading the Bible and the Quran again because it's, like, things make sense now. I, so I feel like... Well, what do you feel are like some texts that we can do kind of like a shortcut instead of like living there for like 20 years? Like, what can we do to like capture like maybe the spirit of the country so that we can like look at it from a more compassionate way instead of like a clinical like, oh, they're weird. Uh, no, they're not. Um, just you have to figure out like how they think. Does that make any sense? That's a good question. No one's really ever asked me that before. I mean, I would say comedian Rajiv Satyal made this great video called I am Indian. <laughs> so you oh, could watch perfect. that. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, oh, it's on YouTube? I'm Indian. All right. Uh, I'm going to put yeah, it exactly. in the YouTube. So what, right after we get off, I'm going to watch it. I didn't have to read. Honestly, it, it, it has <laughs> maybe just under a million views on YouTube, but it's got what? like 50 million oh, online, like on Facebook and WhatsApp, like 50 million views. A lot of people have written to me and said, in India, wow, you really captured the spirit of India in a way that others wow. really haven't. So, oh my God. I guess, you know. Kind of <laughs> I guess their video. It's, it's only three minutes. I'm half kidding. Oh my God. Oh, it's only two minutes. Yeah, it's only two it's minutes incredible. long. It's only two oh. minutes long. Uh, it's, it's really short. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm half joking, but, it, but it, it, it does give you a directional thing. Now, I guess to answer the rest of your question, besides going there, of course, and meeting Indian people, right? Or people from India and asking them yeah, this question because they spend time, a lot of time there. That would be one thing. Another thing to do, like, yeah, like you're saying, like reading the Gita, reading the Ramayana and the, and the, um, and the Mahabharata, like things What's like that. So and the Gita is part of the Mahabharata. They're very long. So I, I think, you know, Jawaharlal Nehru, the first prime minister of India, wrote a book called Discovery of India. Mahatma Gandhi has written a lot. If you read some of his, his teachings and some of his books, I would say would give you a pretty good idea historically of, of that. Uh, you know, there are other movies that you could watch, like Gandhi, the one best picture in 82, Bollywood movies, Slumdog Millionaire, even though it was made by Danny Boyle, wasn't made by an Indian. It still does capture a lot of what is oh, true about India. The Namesake uh, is a movie that was made about going from here to there. Um, Passage to India as a book, I wasn't really that nuts about that book, but I guess people liked it. Um, but I think that there are, there are books 
and movies. Uh, it, again, all, a lot of the proper nouns, a lot of the people I mentioned in I Am Indian, like Lata Mangeshkar and Asha Bosley and, you know, Muhammad Rafi, you know, it's a very, very rich culture in the sense that there's so many people there, right? China and India. So, so there's like two out of five people in the world are either Chinese or Indian. It's, it's insane. Um, there's a graphic of a map and it shows a circle and the circle contains India and China and just a little bit more. And, the, and it, it reads, more people live inside the circle than outside of it. Like that's really where the world is. The world is really in India and in China, like that part of the, the globe. So I would say those are some of the things you could definitely do to read about. I mean, to follow cricket. Cricket is like a religion over there. The sport Bollywood yeah. is like a religion. Oh my god, I saw a cricket game, but it mm -hmm. was nothing. Lagan. I was very disappointed. I was. Uh, it was not like Lagan, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah I was sad. Yeah. I did shed a tear. Lagan is another one. Yeah. It's yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like uh, uh, it. Is. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, the reason why I ask this is because I work with um, Chinese clients who are in technology and they often have mm -hmm. a communication gap with their Indian coworkers. And it's like, I try to explain it to them and it's hard for them to understand that you, you guys are great communicators and you guys are not shy about um, talking. I feel like Chinese is almost the opposite. If you're um, in technology as a Chinese person, you're probably on the introverted side and you are not mm. as okay uh, talking to different people. Uh, we're more, I guess, like just communisty efficient. We're just like, mm. this is what you do. Do it. Like we don't negotiate. We don't question. It's just whatever the boss does, we do mm. it. And it's like a double-edged sword, right? So it's like, one, you may be known as a very efficient person, but like, guess what? When it comes to promotions, hey, guess what? Who who rules all the corporations? Uh, Indian CEOs, okay? And it's I don't think it's an accident. Mm. I think some of it's cultural. Like, you guys do encourage, like, open democracy, parenting. I feel like Indian parents, you guys are more open about uh, things. And, then, and of course, it's like I'm generalizing to a gross extent, right? Sure. But you sure. see the effects right it's just i i see how people behave i you know i'm in orange county so it's just like uh like all my neighbors are like indian or persian or like chinese or Korean, just everywhere right so that's the reason why i bring it up and um uh i'm glad that you kind of like you actually list out things and your video i'm definitely gonna watch your video because i think i watched uh -huh. it, but like i didn't i didn't maybe I, I need to watch again so um you, you said that you were punjabi and also uh hindi so hindu mm -hmm. hindu mm -hmm. sorry you made the notes i'm so stupid guys sorry he made okay. some amazing notes and corrections and i still said it wrong so okay so okay. i have i have sick friends they're uh, really fun they're awesome um hindi friends maybe i have more south asian friends I can't think about it right now. But like, do you feel like there's a difference in terms of those humors? Because it's like totally different philosophy. Well, not totally different, but kind of. They're like different religions. So do you feel like those types of humors are different? Does that makes sense? In, in terms of Hindu versus Sikh and the different religions? I don't know what I was trying to go through with this because I feel like <laughs> Sikh religion is very different from the principles sure. of hinduism right so i just wonder like do you feel like it affects uh how they are oh man oh this question sounds so dumb now i thought it was so cool when i like wrote it um but does that make any <laughs> sense like is your mom punjabi or is your dad punjabi or what 
They're both Punjabis, but you know, the state of Punjab generally, that's what's so sad that I don't speak Punjabi and really neither do my parents. They speak Hindi, but Hindi is the, as the language and Hindu is, is the religion, but they, you know, there are a lot of great jokes in Punjabi and it's got a very rich culture in terms of jokes. It's almost like Koreans, like Koreans are really funny generally. Like they're out of the East Asians, there are more Korean comedians in the United States than anyone else. And part of that is just, yeah, it's just a funnier, culture than certainly than Chinese and, and, and Japanese, I would say. Whereas mm, what do you Punjabis think? is the same kind of thing. Do you feel like people who fight a lot are funnier? Because I was thinking who about fight a lot? Because mm. Koreans went through a lot of bullshit. Like they their country almost um was completely eliminated like twice. And I feel like well, it's a you have to develop humor as a coping mechanism. Because Punjabi, that region is also like freaking warriors, right? So I mean yeah. that's that's my racist theory. Uh, so <laughs> it's good. I, I like your racist theory. I think I think it's I think it's really insightful, actually, because I think you're exactly right. I think there are a lot of uh, feel like look at Jewish people. Look at Jews. I mean, they're they're some of the best comedians. They've gone through so much hell. I need and a so, funny yeah, yeah. It just people are really impressive on Jewish comedians. Like who's Jewish I comedians? I don't. I don't. I'm, I forgot. I should look up funny Jew, but there's so many funny Jews. There's a lot of funny Indians yeah. too. Uh, a lot of, but uh, yeah, I mean, Larry David, Woody Allen, Allen, Jerry Seinfeld, I Lenny one. Bruce. I got the funniest one. Um, yeah, sorry, I don't oh. know. Okay, that's the next question. <laughs> what are some misconceptions you wish would clear up about Indians? Misconceptions, I would say, about Indians are that, I don't know, I tend to believe, to your point about racist theories, I tend to believe stereotypes are true. My friend PK, who's Korean, said that it's 51, not 99, right? He goes, 51% of us can't drive, but don't assume 99% of us can't. He goes, just most of us can't. And I was like, that's a pretty funny way of saying that. You've heard of PK? PK Kim? Yeah, I saw him perform. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Hilarious. I love him. Oh, wow. All right. He's great. Super nice guy, too. Yeah, Yeah. super good dude. And uh, yeah, I was interviewing from interviewing him for him and a bunch of comedians for this diversity thing I was doing at a corporation. And um, he was really insightful with that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know, I guess misconceptions. I think, yeah, when people try to bucket us in with East Asians, it is different because I remember at Procter & Gamble, they had Asians as one group. So you had Chinese mixed with Pakistanis, mixed with Japanese, mixed with Indians. And I remember going to the head of the group, mm-hmm. our sponsor, actually, a, a white man who was a sponsor with him. I'm still really good friends. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I go, you know, you have to break us apart because if you tell Indians how to be more assertive, you're going to turn me into a fellow <laughs> of the hunt. We're really oh aggressive as it is. Like, I don't think you need to give me assertiveness training. I'll, I'll end up uh, burning down the building. So different Sorry. cultures, different cultures. <laughs> totally true. Totally true. <laughs> Oh my god, I just died laughing. That is the most wait, okay. Why were they grouping you guys together for like uh, a mathlete event or a hackathon? Why why was he rounding up Asians? Oh, I guess I should explain that. Yeah, it was uh Yeah, explain yeah, they're just rounding us up. Um it's the, it's the Trump administration. Oh, we gotta go to business. Um, got the Asians. Yeah. We gotta get these people out of here. Um build build a wall, a beautiful wall. Yeah. 
they uh they have these affinity groups right affinity groups are like That's the african-american one the latino one the asian one and so we didn't have enough asians because there just weren't enough in america at the time so it was just more like all right we'll just put all the east and south asians together and i go guys even if they're different and you don't have enough or sorry even if you don't have enough people we're different and so i think you should you should separate them and i think eventually they did once they had critical mass thank god Craziness. um seriously yeah that was that's hilarious Thank you for sharing that. So um, what do you think? Okay, I'll share a little bit about my side. That would be fair. So I feel like the general concept, sure. of, when I went to Shanghai, uh, I was just at like this random like, public space. It was like, we're just eating and stuff. Like a lot of older people were talking because older people don't give a fuck. Like they will say anything. They actually say what, what they're thinking. Right. And this group of like, I think 60 year old grandmas were like gathering together. And I remember just talking and they're just talking really loud. And they're just like, you know, Indians really know how to live. They would bring an envelope and only bring in the amount of money that they would spend. And they're not going to go any higher than that. That's how you live. And it's interesting because I feel like um, the reputation in China of Indians is like, you guys really know how to manage your money. And then you guys are like um, very... Well, I guess the Indians who go to China are different from the Indians who come to the U.S., um, but very mm. smart, really know how to live. That's kind of the con concept. And of course, there's like negative stereotypes as well. Um, but I just think that it's interesting to see from like other, and it's funny because I feel like I'm a Chinese woman. So I'm in this like weird space where I can ask things that white people can't. So I'm just. Mm -hmm. gonna, uh, yeah. Same thing that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So what do you think Indian? Think of American people and Chinese people. What do you, Indians think of American people and or like Chinese Indian people? Americans? Like, what do you guys think? Of, maybe what, what do you immigrants, Indian immigrants? Yeah, maybe that's a better word. What do you think Indian immigrants think of Americans and Chinese? And what do you think they wish they would do differently? I guess. Um, I think Indian immigrants in America. So I guess. I'm not an immigrant, but I'm a child of immigrants. So I think what Indian Americans think of Americans, it varies. I think generally speaking, I think most races of people are pretty racist, but yes. there is this sense of, one of the senses I don't like is the idea of, oh my gosh, we are the wealthiest ethnic group in America and so we're better than everybody. and. I don't like to look at it that way because, guys, the cream of the crop came over here, right, from China and from India. We're immigrants of choice, not necessity. So you're talking to people who had the means, who had the resources, who had the time, money, and energy to spend and had the family values and all those things. You're taking the cream of the crop versus the general population. So it's almost, ironically, it's kind of like how because in, in America, school is compulsory. So... Mm -hmm. Yes, Americans are generally not that great at math, but every American has to go to school. And so you're comparing the mean versus people in China and India where a lot of the people who aren't capable are not even in school. They're working in, yes. in farms or in factories. So you're going to pull down the average of a country like that, or maybe not ironically, actually just making this point. So I think there's a sense of egotism and mm -hmm. a sense of looking down on other people that I don't. I don't like, and I, I think that it, we would do well to remember that we're privileged uh, and, and we're the model minority, but, but Chinese and Indians in America are privileged. And yes, 
maybe we experience some discrimination, but the upside greatly outweighs the downside, in my opinion, in terms of how we're treated versus like Latinos and blacks in America. You could never compare our experience to their experience. I think they're totally different. Now, that said, the second part of your question, Indians and Chinese, Chinese were brought over here, railroads, right, and were butt of jokes of like squinty eyes, and they looked very different in terms of the facial structures, so they were made fun of and discriminated against. So Chinese in America have had it harder than Indians in America, I would think. Mm-hmm. Even after 9-11, I think we were grouped in with Middle Easterners, so we're all grouped in with other people, right? But I think there's that aspect. In terms of what Indians think of Chinese, I think the Russell Peters bit really does sum it up. I think Chinese people think that Indians are cheap. I think Indians think that Chinese people are, are, aren't going to give us a deal. I think that's why that bit was so funny because I think <laughs> that was exactly true. how Absolutely. people see it. They're like, oh, the Chinese, they're clever and they're conniving and they're not going to give a deal. But the Chinese are going, yeah, but you guys, you're not spending any money and you're being totally unfair about your thing about the envelope. So I, I, I think that some of it's based in truth, but I think we would do well to remember how we got here and how we should treat each other. Wow, no wonder you do corporate comedy. You're so good at just making this so neutral and uh, so much better than I said it. So um, so before we uh, find a way to stalk you and book you and see you live in your book tour, like what would you do all over again? Would you do anything differently if you if you could do it all over again? My career or my life? I guess my career is what you're talking about. I guess career. Life is too much. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that I'm someone who lives with no regrets. And my only regret is there was a movie that came out in 1999 called American Pie. And I didn't see it in the theater. And I wish I would have. And that's probably my only regret. That's it? I would say that's it. That's (laughs) it. Uh, I heard it was really a great experience. (laughs) So I I would say I, I think things unfold i i read something called desiderata every morning and and it's this whole thing called go placidly amid the noise and the haste it's really philosophical thing and even though i'm indian and we have so much indian wisdom it's written i think by a white guy in the 1920s but it's really the idea of no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should and you know like when, when the student is ready the teacher will appear all that jazz right and so i think to go back and second guess yourself and go i shouldn't have discontinued my podcast yeah i probably should not have but hey, there's a reason you did, for whatever reason you stopped, and you'll bring it back at the right time. I think that there are things that I have not accomplished, especially on TV and in film and things like that, in a very, very limited scope that I thought would have been a slam dunk that I haven't. But then look at all the other things I've accomplished that I never even knew were opportunities. So uh, I think the one thing I would probably say to people is if you if you really are focused on cracking through the industry and getting on TV as an actor and things like that, then stay in L.A., move to L.A., stay in L.A. and get a job as a barista or a waiter and just completely focus on that. Take improv classes, do, imp- do stand-up every night, get in front of casting directors, take acting classes, all that stuff, and just focus, focus, focus on that. But realize you probably – it may not happen, A. And B, it's um, – that's not exactly what I came here to do. I didn't come to Hollywood to be an actor or a star in a sitcom. I, I, I want to do stand-up. I want to put my point of view out in the world. And even if only thousands of people are watching me and not millions, yeah, maybe it'd be great to have millions watch me, but I'd rather have the thousands tuning in that want to. And there's no guarantee you'll be any happier. You might be. Maybe if I made a billion dollars in comedy, I'd be a lot happier. But you might also be more miserable, right? Mo' money, more problems. Biggie from the 90s. So... You just don't know, man. You've got to go with it. The journey will take you where it leads. And 
as long as you're doing what you feel is the right thing. And that's what's great about doing comedy. You can talk about anything you want to talk about. You can be as moral or as ethical or as legal as you want or not. And you just keep going and hopefully it works out. What else can I say? That's perfect. So now we're just totally in love with you. We think you're the funniest Indian ever. Like, how can we work with you? What's your book tour about? How can we uh, get to know more about you? So the tour I'm doing is called The Man in the Middle, and it is a solo show about politics. But before you gag, realize that it is about being in the middle, trying to bring the two sides together. I lean left. I do not like the president at all. But when I performed it in my hometown of Cincinnati in front of a majority of Trump voters, I got a standing ovation. So I think it's something that I will believe will fulfill the thing of trying to bring Americans together. I made a video called I'm American following up on I am Indian. I performed on Capitol Hill. You can go to crajiv.com. That's S-E-E-R-A-J-I-V.com or just my website, funnyindian.com. Find me at funnyindian on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else and ask me any questions you want or come to you directly since you ask uh, better questions than I think most people have. You're a great interviewer and it was really, really a pleasure to spend some time with you. Hello?